ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಾನಂದಂ ಪರಮಸುಖಾನಮೂರ್ತಿ ದ್ವಂದ್ವಾತೀತ ಗಗನ ಸದೃಶ ತತ್ವಸ್ಯಾಲಕ್ಷಲ ಸರ್ವೀಸಾಕ್ಷಿಭೂತ ತ್ರಿಗುಣರಹಿತ ಸದ್ಗುರು ಐ ಬಾವ್ ಡೌನ್ ಟು ದ ಸದ್ಗುರು ದ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಚುವಲ್ ಟೀಚರ್ ಹೂ ಡಿಸ್ಪೆಲ್ಸ್ ದ ಡಾರ್ಕ್ನೆಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಇಗ್ನೋರೆನ್ಸ್ ಹೂ ಇಸ್ ದಿ ಎಂಬಾಡಿಮೆಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಾನಂದ ದಿ ಇನ್ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪ್ರೆಸಬಲ್ ಆಬ್ಸೊಲ್ಯೂಟ್ ಬ್ಲಿಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮನ್ who bestows that supreme joy on others who stands alone entirely unattached the very personification of spiritual wisdom who has gone beyond the dwandvas the pairs of opposites like pleasure and pain heat and cold that characterize relative existence who is vast as the sky who is indicated by the great vedic mahavakyas such as tattvamasi that thou art who is one without a second eternal stainless and immovable the witness of all that arises who has gone beyond all states of mind and is free of the three gunas tamas rajas and even sattva to him the true guru do we bow down in adoration ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಪೀಸ್ 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 ಗುಡ್ ಮಾರ್ನಿಂಗ್ ಆಸ್ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಯು ನೋ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಸ್ವಾಹಾ ಪ್ರಾಬಬ್ಲಿ ಆಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಯು ನೋ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಸ್ವಾಹಾನಂದಜಿ ದ ಹೆಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಅವರ್ ಸೆಂಟರ್ and the spiritual teacher for many of us uh, left his body on the 19th of october and i had the privilege to be with him for most of the last week of his life and to be at his side as he left the body so today's talk will touch on the idea of the guru and i want to include a little bit of my thoughts about swami swahananda because next week i won't be here for the memorial service so my part of the memorial service i'll give today and maybe talk a little bit about death from the vedantic standpoint so the guru who is the guru the spiritual teacher the one who removes ignorance the guru is like a conduit for of power spiritual power it's transmitted to the disciple at the time of spiritual initiation called mantra diksha and it's a it's an instruction in spiritual life given at that time it's an introduction to the divine it's a planting of a seed it is uh, the real start of of spiritual life 
Now, in the Ramakrishna tradition, our tradition, it's, we say that Sri Ramakrishna is the guru. Though there are many different gurus, we say Ramakrishna is the guru, the source guru. Uh, the paradox is that he himself couldn't bear to be called guru. <laughs> He would, he wouldn't be called guru, but he was, he was a genuine, he was a real guru, a true guru, an awakener. Sri Ramakrishna, uh, used to say that Satchidananda alone is the guru. Satchidananda means Brahman, the absolute. Satchitananda, existence absolute, consciousness absolute, bliss absolute is the guru. This is what we, uh, have in this opening chant. This is the Guru as Satchidananda, as the Absolute. It is the, actually the Absolute which acts through the medium of the Guru to awaken us and drive out the ignorance and bring us to the realization that we are pure, immortal, souls divine, one with the Absolute. So Ramakrishna would say, Satchidananda alone is the Guru. If a man in the form of a guru awakens spiritual consciousness in you, then know for certain that it is God, the Absolute, who has assumed that human form for your sake. The guru is like a companion who leads you by the hand, taking us by the hand. So a guru is a principle, not a person, but embodies in a person, works through a person, At the same time, devotion for the person of the Guru is extolled in the Hindu tradition. Devotion for the Guru, the human Guru, is a great help in spiritual life. And naturally, the person who is the instrument of that spiritual power will naturally feel great gratitude towards him or her, and great reverence, great love. Now, in the Ramakrishna order, that devotion for the Guru is... The, we, we are encouraged to point our devotion to Sri Ramakrishna. In the uh, history of our order, we have had many Gurus, but none of them are specially reverenced today, except for the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna. For the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, there are rooms kept at some of the centers with relics, things that they used, and uh, some holy pictures and all that. But after that, the subsequent presidents of the order and other gurus within the order, there is no room kept for any of them. There's no picture kept for worshiping any of them. There's no relics kept of any of them in any public place. And this is strictly maintained. Because people being what we are, we may start to fight with one another. Well, my guru was greater. Well, no, my guru was, was like this. Well, my guru was like that. So, in fact, it was uh, at a certain time, the, some of the disciples wanted to celebrate the birthday of their guru. During the lifetime of the guru, we generally permit, is generally permitted some observance of the birthday. But afterwards, the birthday of the guru is not observe because different people will have their different days so it on the there's one day set aside for special homage to the guru that's guru purnima and here also we observe the day in a small way and that day 
one, we can all join together and worship the Guru as a principle, as Sri Ramakrishna manifesting through the specific human Guru. Swami Swahanandaji often used to tell the story about uh, Swami Satpakashananda. He was go- wanted to get initiated and he wasn't sure who should he approach, Holy Mother or Swami Brahmananda, Raja Maharaj. They were both giving, an, they were the two who were giving initiation at that time. And he went to the one, he went to Raja Maharaj and he said, no, you go to Holy Mother. So he went to Holy Mother, Holy Mother said, you go to Raja Maharaj, you go, you go to Rakhal. <laughs> so he was confused, what should he do? So he finally went to Swami Shivananda and asked him, well, what should I do? Swami Shivananda said, it doesn't matter. It's the same water. He gave the illustration of uh, the gargoyles on a building. One has a tiger's head, one has a lion's head. And when it rains, water comes shooting out of the mouth of the tiger and also out of the mouth of the lion. But it's the same water. It's rain water. It's fallen on the roof and it's coming down through the different conduits. So like that, uh, Mahapurush Maharaj explained, it's the same water flowing through the different gurus. Only one looks like a lion, one looks like a tiger. So I'd like to read a, a, a couple of excerpts from Swami Vivekananda on the Guru. He says, Every soul is destined to be perfect, and every being in the end will attain the state of perfection. Whatever we are now is the result of our acts and thoughts in the past, and whatever we shall be in the future will be the result of what we think and do now. But this, the shaping of our own destinies, does not preclude our receiving help from outside. Nay, in the vast majority of cases, such help is absolutely necessary. When it comes, the higher powers and possibilities of the soul are quickened. Spiritual life is awakened, growth is animated, and man becomes holy and perfect in the end. This quickening impulse cannot be derived from books. The soul can only receive impulses from another soul and from nothing else. The person from whose soul such impulse comes is called the guru, the teacher, and the person to whose soul the impulse is conveyed is called the shishya, the student. To convey such an impulse to any soul in the first place The soul from which it proceeds must possess the power of transmitting it, as it were, to another. And in the second place, the soul to which it is transmitted must be fit to receive it. The seed must be a living seed and the field must be ready plowed. And when both these conditions are fulfilled, a wonderful growth of genuine religion takes place. So we have here Swami Vivekananda's thrilling assurance. All will be perfect in the end. This is the great assurance of Vedanta, that no one is destined to dwell in hell or anything like that. All are, are to be perfect. It's only a question of when. Those who uh, long intensely will get their um, food at breakfast time. 
Some will get their food at lunch. Some will get their food at dinner time. But all will be fed at the temple of Annapurna. So we need, we can take the help to get there faster. To manifest that perfection which is our birthright, our destiny, we can take help. That's the help of the Guru. And it's when both are fit, when both Guru and disciple are fit, that the real growth comes. Swami Brahmananda also used to emphasize the importance of the Guru. I think most of us know the story that he, someone was wondering, is Guru really necessary? And he said, Are, even the pickpockets, to learn how to pick people's pockets, they need gurus. <laughs> and you think you don't need a guru for knowing how to realize God? So, uh, and it's true, in, in, uh, Girish Ghosh was acquainted with those kinds of people, so naturally Raja Maharaj would have also met the guru of the pickpockets. They have, they have a tradition also, how do you pick a pocket, you distract the, the person and slip your fingers in when they're not n- noticing like that. So that you need a guru even for such a simple thing. Say, take chemistry, to learn chemistry, everyone's ready to uh, go to a teacher of chemistry to learn chemistry. But many people aren't ready to go to a spiritual teacher to learn how to practice meditation, how to realize God. So that's the thing. If we're, if we're ready for a teacher for other things, all the, all the more we need one in spiritual life. Now Swami Vivekananda uh, delineates the three qualifications of a guru. First, he or she should know the spirit of the scriptures. Second, should be pure, have great purity, to be a pure conduit of that power. And third, must have only unselfish motives, no motive for getting money, for getting name and fame, for getting power, political power, or worldly power. None of the, if any of these motives are present, we can be sure this is not a true guru. It is when one is completely unselfish, pure, and established in the scriptures, we can know this is a true guru. So Swami Vivekananda says, A vision of God or a glimpse of the beyond never comes until the soul is pure. Hence, with the teacher of religion, we must see first what he is and then what he says. He must be perfectly pure, and then alone comes the value of his words, because he is only then the true transmitter. What can he transmit if he has not spiritual power in himself? There must be the worthy vibration of spirituality in the mind of the teacher, so that it may be sympathetically conveyed to the mind of the taught. The function of the teacher is indeed an affair of the transference of something, and not one of mere stimulation of the existing intellectual or other faculties in the taught. Something real and appreciable as an influence comes from the teacher and goes to the taught. So, the character is more important, actually, than the teachings. And we see here also, Swamiji hints at uh, how is that power transmitted. It's almost like the case of a television broadcast and broadcasting at a certain frequency, a certain vibration. And if we tune our television to the right frequency, we'll receive the broadcast. So likewise, the student is receiving a broadcast, as it were, 
and of, vibra of vibration and has to tune his or her mind to the right frequency to receive it. We'll continue with a little more of Swamiji. There are some souls, a few exceptional ones, who are already free and who will be born here for the good of the world to help the world. Upon these free souls depends the spiritual growth of mankind. They are like the first lamps from which other lamps are lighted. The great souls are shining lights from the beginning. Those who come in contact with them have, as it were, their own lamps lighted. By this the first lamp does not lose anything, yet it communicates its light to other lamps. A million lamps are lighted, but the first lamp goes on shining with undiminished light. The first lamp is the guru, and the lamp that is lighted from it is the disciple. The second in turn becomes the guru, and so on. These great ones whom you call incarnations of God are mighty spiritual giants. They come and set in motion a tremendous spiritual current by transmitting their power to their disciples and through them to generation after generation of disciples. Here we have the idea of Guru Parampara. Spiritual power is transmitted from the Guru to the disciple and from he, the disciple in turn becomes a guru and transmits it to a disciple. The Catholics also have this idea of, they call it apostolic succession. And the Sufis also have this idea. The Sufis, when they take initiation, they call it taking hand with a sheikh. They grasp the hand of the sheikh and they feel something is transmitted. They count their lineage all the way back to the Prophet Muhammad. So this chain of succession is a great source of strength and we can meditate on it. I was reminded reading this passage of Swamiji about lighting the lamps of a Christmas Eve service I once attended at the National Cathedral here in Washington and everyone on entering the service was given a candle, a small candle, and we took our seats in the, in the pews, the, the whole church was full, and at a certain point in the service, someone uh, took a candle and lit it from the light on the altar and lit his candle. And then he lit someone else's candle. And that person lit two or three candles and those people each lit two or three candles. And within a few minutes, everybody's candle in the whole church was burning. It was a very touching uh, uh, illustration of this idea of uh, transmitting spiritual power from soul to soul. Of course, the light is within everyone, but it is hidden. In most of us, it is hidden. So in our tradition, Ramakrishna tradition, we trace our lineage back to Sri Ramakrishna. Mm. He has come relatively recently, so most of us, there are only two or three steps between those of us who have had initiation in the Ramakrishna tradition. So take the case of Swami Swahananda. His guru was Swami Vijnanananda, and Vijnanananda's guru was Sri Ramakrishna. So uh, Sri Ramakrishna becomes our great grandfather father in that case. Now we can go back further. Sri Ramakrishna had many teachers. One of them was Totapuri. So the monks at least, they say, well, to his, because he was his sannyas guru, his monastic guru. And Totapuri 
can trace his lineage all the way back to Shankaracharya, who is the founder of the uh, ten orders of monks in India. And then by tradition, of course, Shankaracharya's guru, Govinda, Bhagavad Pada, and then Gaudapada were the gurus. And the tradition traces the lineage back all the way to the great rishis, Shukadeva and his father Vyasa, Parashara, Shakti, and Vashishtha, and then to Brahma and Narayana. So the tradition traces the lineage all the way back to the Lord himself. And why we emphasize Sri Ramakrishna as the guru? He is one of these great world teachers who, as Swamiji puts it, he set in motion a tremendous spiritual current. Now, the uh, Swamis who are now gurus, they're not on that level of Ramakrishna or Vivekananda. But they are pure conduits for that power, that power that spiritual current which Sri Ramakrishna set in motion. Some, there was an interesting comment that uh, the young, the future Brahm, Swami Brahmananda, Rakhal, made. Uh, it's in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. There was a mad woman. Sri Ramakrishna was on his uh, deathbed, or he was sick, ailing, and getting towards his final days at the Kashipur Garden House. And there was one mad woman who used to come and visit him tried to visit him, and some of the disciples tried to prevent her and didn't like her and tried to drive her off. And Rakhal protested, and he said, at the beginning, I too used to feel jealous of others when they visited the master. And this is also recorded, that he used to get jealous if Sri Ramakrishna would show love to anybody else. And then he had to go away to Vrindavan, almost as if the mother had sent him away. And while he was there, he matured. So he said, in this case, he said, but, but he graciously re- revealed to me that my guru is also the guru of the universe. Has he taken this birth only for a few of us? He graciously revealed to me that my guru is also the guru of the universe. It's a beautiful revelation. And there's part of the Guru Gita, one of the verses in the Guru Gita is... Mannatha Shri Jagannatho Madguru Shri Jagadguru Madatma Sarvabhutatma Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha My Lord is the Lord of the universe. My Guru is the Guru of the universe. Myself is the Self of all. To that Guru, my salutations. In the Thousand Island Park, when Swami Vivekananda was with his intimate disciples, giving his highest teachings, he said as follows, The real Guru is the one through whom we have our spiritual descent. He is the channel through which the spiritual current flows to us, the link which joins us to the whole spiritual world. Too much faith in personality has a tendency to produce weakness and idolatry. But intense love for the Guru makes rapid growth possible. He connects us with the internal Guru. Adore your Guru if there be real truth in him. That Guru Bhakti, devotion to the teacher, will quickly lead you to the highest. 
Sri Ramakrishna also emphasized faith in the Guru, faith in the Guru's teachings. So much so that he would say, once you have accepted a Guru, even if he goes to the grog shop, to the tavern and drinks wine, still he is my Nityananda Rai, my, uh, I revere him as my Guru. Someone asked him, Sir, what is the way? And he replied, Faith in the Guru's words. One attains God by following the Guru's instructions step by step. It is like reaching an object by following the trail of a thread. And he told the story of, uh, I can't seem to recall the whole story, but one uh, young girl, she had such faith in the Guru that she chanted the Guru's name and she was able to cross the river walking on the water. And when the Guru heard about this, he said, What? Does my name have so much power? So he went out onto, onto the water and started saying, Me, me, me. And he sank. <laughs> so in the Ramakrishna tradition, the, the responsibility for giving spiritual initiation is given to very, very few. In India, as most of you know, just the president and a handful of assistants, vice presidents, are given this heavy responsibility. Currently, there, there are president and two of the vice presidents. There are three vice presidents. One is not keeping well. So two of them are giving initiation and two other very senior monks. So in all of India, all of the country of India with more than one billion people, there are five swamis who are authorized to give initiation because it's considered to be a very... Uh, important and sacred duty not to be mm, given to any just anybody and in this country the heads of the different centers are also given the mm, responsibility and most often the the uh, monks who are asked to give initiation they take it take this up very reluctantly it's not that they're eager, yes, I want to be a guru, I want to be a big man, because they understand that it's a big responsibility. But I would say that Swami Swahanandaji, though I don't know in the beginning he may have been very reluctant, but as I saw him, he was very eager to give initiation. He was eager. Why? Because he had the great he had great faith, deep faith in the power of Sri Ramakrishna flowing through him. He had great conviction that having initiation, not from him, but from Sri Ramakrishna, he was a mere instrument, that having initiation from Sri Ramakrishna would be a great help in their spiritual life, in our spiritual life, in the disciples' spiritual life. It was a great privilege for me to witness a few times uh, how he gave initiation. Now, I, I also had initiation from him, uh, but later I, actually, I could actually appreciate it more, how he gave the initiation. And uh, what struck me was a twofold, um, the two, two aspects of it. On the one hand, his initiation was entirely and completely matter-of-fact. The disciple comes in, he would say, sit there. And he would say, okay, now offer a flower. This is for the Divine Mother. The disciple would put it on the altar. 
Now for Sri Ramakrishna. Then they might say, for Sri Ramakrishna. Good. Entirely matter of fact. And then he would explain in his very simple, clear way how to meditate. First you do this, then you do that. And then he would give the mantra. Just as if he's telling anything else. No, no whispering in the ear or, now I'm going to tell you the mantra. This is what's going to really save you. You repeat it. No, he'd just say, now this is the mantra and he'd tell it. Entirely matter of fact, like there's nothing special going on. And yet, at the same time, it was profoundly moving. Something profound was going on and people felt it. And, and not always, but oftentimes even people were moved to tears afterwards. And why? Because the real initiation wasn't taking place on this plane, on this level. The real initiation is taking place on a deeper level. And those who can feel it, they feel it. Even if they can't feel it, it's still happening. And one will feel it in time. So that was Swami Swahananda's initiation. It was like... uh, It was like... The, the Guru is introducing the disciple to God in a very intimate and yet casual or uh, casual way. That, Here, here's your chosen ideal. And you call in him like this, and that's all. Now you go and do your work. Now you go and do, do, what you're, do, do as you're told. So that, that reminds me of uh, an incident at the Ramakrishna Monastery in Tribuco. The monks were at the breakfast table and one devotee had come and he asked in a little bit of a funny way, he asked one of the senior monks, Swami Bhadrananda, well, Maharaj, can you tell us something about initiation? And uh, Swami Bhadrananda replied, well, as you know, it involves a short ritual, oftentimes with some flowers, and at that time uh, the mantra is given to the disciple. That's all he said. And the, the devotee said, well, couldn't you tell us a little bit more, what, what, more about it? And he said, that's all. Now you just sit down and do as you're told. <laughs> sit down and do as you're told. <laughs> the guru has given you the instructions for your spiritual life. Now you have to follow them. That's the thing. When we think of Swami Swahanandaji, we really, he, to me, he really meets these qualities which Swami Vivekananda um, mentions as, um, what we say, um, the qualifications that a guru has to meet. He definitely knew the spirit of the scriptures. He could quote the scriptures, but he wasn't uh, a scholar. A scholarly in that sense, he was a scholar, but not in that sense that he is quoting scriptures left and right, but he had clearly uh, understood and absorbed the spirit of the scriptures, and he was utterly pure. So there was no selfish motive in him. He was not uh, out for money or for name and fame or anything, just for spreading spirituality, for helping people. And he had this great detachment, even-mindedness, great devotion, and uh, he was so loving. I think all of us who got to know him a little bit, on the surface he was very gruff, and one could be afraid of him, and I was afraid of him at first. I was always a little afraid of him. (laughs) But he had this great love behind that, this great love, and 
There's a great feeling of assurance for his disciples and devotees. Many people who may not have been his formal disciples still looked on him as a kind of guide, as an upaguru, a secondary teacher. So we can ask now when the guru leaves his body and is no longer there, what then? It's for many of his disciples really felt crushed, when, especially since his death was not expected. It was expected in the sense that his health was quite f- fragile and he's ni- he was 91, but he wasn't on his deathbed. He had just gone to Texas for a weekend. So suddenly he should leave the body. So I'd like to share some instructions Swami Swahananji himself gave about this. One of his uh, disciples, not disciples, but one of his devotees, who looked upon him as a second guru, very devoted to him and was also very attached to him and expressed to him her concern that, well, what should I, what, what will happen when you go? And he said, don't be attached to any Swami. Don't be attached to any particular Swami. We're all representatives of Sri Ramakrishna. Be attached to Sri Ramakrishna. Then she protested, but Maharaj, we, we see you. We have close contact with you. We love you. We're going to miss you. If when you go, we're going to miss you. It will be a terrible pain for us. Then he had three instructions he gave her. First, the guru is within. Grow the guru within. Swami Vivekananda also, in in one of the previous quotes, he talks about the internal guru. So this was his first point. The guru is within. You have to grow the guru within. Second, if you miss me, do more japa. It's very simple. Do more japa. Repeat the mantra more. And third, weep before Holy Mother. She will give you peace. That was his third instruction. So the guru is within. You have to grow the guru within. Do more japa. Weep before Holy Mother. She will give you peace. Sri Ramakrishna says that eventually one's own mind becomes the guru. When the mind becomes very pure, when it becomes completely sattvic, filled with sattva-guna, the light and peace, then it becomes the guru. Then it can easily discern what is to be done, what is not to be done, how to move forward in spiritual life. The second point, japa. Swami Swahananji himself practiced this. He did more japa. We had the, uh, as one of his attendants, we had to stay by rotation in his room at nights and help him if he needed anything at night. So all of his attendants know that he wouldn't sleep much, partly because somehow due to health and other reasons, but most uh, after an hour of lying in the bed, he would sit on the edge of the bed and take his mala and do japa. Then after some time of that, he might sit in the chair and doze for a while. Then he would get it, again take his mala and do japa. So m- much of the night he spent doing japa. We sleep nicely all night. But Swami Swahanji was doing japa most of the night. And he practiced this up towards the end of his, up to the end of his life. This was his established habit.
And we didn't know it, of course, before because he was, he would be alone in his room. Only when, at the end, when his health was, required some attendance, then we realized it. He must have had this habit all along. You can't take up a habit like that in old age. In old age, you can't suddenly decide, well, now I'm going to do dhappa all night since I'm not sleeping well. It was not going to happen. So he must have been practicing this all through his life. So, naturally, we will miss him. And uh, this is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to miss him. Longing for a holy person, like Swami Swahananda or any holy person, is purifying. It purifies our minds. And perhaps we, don't long, we know that longing is one of the most essential mm, ingredients in spiritual life. Most of us, maybe we don't have that much longing. For God, we don't have much longing. But when someone, a holy person like Swami Swahananda leaves the body, and we miss him, and we long for him, that longing is like longing for God. Because what is it that we're attracted to in him? We're attracted to the divine qualities of uh, love, forbearance, compassion. If we think of someone intensely, we think of someone with certain qualities, gradually those qualities come to us. That is why uh, Sri Ramakrishna used to say to his disciples, you will inherit my wealth. Think, about, think on me, meditate on me, and you will inherit my wealth. What is my wealth? Renunciation, devotion, knowledge of God. So like that, if we think about someone who has these kind of sterling qualities, we, those qualities will come to us. If we think about a crook, those, those qualities also will come to us. So don't think about crooks. Think about holy, holy people. So we can also consciously redirect our grief. Now, it's not only... Uh, we all lose loved ones. All our loved ones die. Either our loved ones, we will lose all our loved ones until we ourselves die, and then they will lose us. So this is an inescapable fact. But, and grief is a perfectly normal and natural emotion. We can spiritualize that grief by turning it towards God. The longing we feel for missing that person, turn it into longing for God, redirect it, just give it a little turn. This was Sri Ramakrishna's instruction about uh, the obstacles we have in our lives. If we feel angry, he would say, be angry with God. If you must be angry, be angry with God. If you must feel proud, be proud that you are a devotee. The spirit, we spiritualize them, so we can spiritualize our grief in this way. So as longing intensifies, our spiritual life intensifies. And as spiritual life intensifies, we make more progress, more spiritual progress. And we begin to taste the peace and joy of the higher life. This is what Swami Swahananda refers to this in his third instruction. Weep before mother. Weep before mother means have intense longing for her. And she will give you peace. We will taste the peace of the higher life. If we have to weep, if we must weep, 
Weep before mother. Let us weep before mother. It struck me also that uh, when the guru leaves the body, uh, it is time for the disciples to f- grow up and become adults, become grown-ups. Josephine McLeod had a very interesting and touching conversation with Swamiji not long before he left the body. She says, At Belarmat one day, while Sister Nivedita was distributing prizes for some athletics, I was standing in Swamiji's bedroom at the mutt, at the window, watching, and he said to me, I shall never see 40. I, knowing he was 39, said to him, But Swami, Buddha did not do his great work until between 40 and 80. But he said, I delivered my message and I must go. I asked, Why go? And he said, The shadow of a big tree will not let the smaller trees grow up. I must go to make room. So, I I feel very strongly that it is now our responsibility, now that the Guru has left his body, our responsibility to grow up. We have to become big trees ourselves. Maybe we could have some excuse. Swami is there, everything will be all right. Now he's not there in the body. I have to grow up. I have to be a big tree myself. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So we have to manifest that light, the light, the seed of light which was planted at the time of initiation, that we have to manifest and let it shine so that the whole house is illumined. Swami Vivekananda instructed in his rules for the order, he gives a very important instruction. He says every member of the mutt should feel that he is a representative of Sri Ramakrishna. He should feel he's a representative of Sri Ramakrishna. I think we can extend that to devotees of Sri Ramakrishna. We should, those who have, are devotees of Sri Ramakrishna should feel they are representatives of him. That others will understand something about who Sri Ramakrishna is through you, through us. If we are always... Uh, If we are not acting up to our own highest light, what will people think about Sri Ramakrishna? Oh, devotees of Ramakrishna are like that? Then who is this Ramakrishna? I don't care for him. His devotees do like that. But if his devotees are full of love and compassion, shedding their light, then people will become interested. Oh, Ramakrishna devotees are like that. Wow, I also want to know about Ramakrishna. The real guru, like Swami Vivekananda, he wants his own disciples to surpass him. Swamiji said it a number of times. I want you to be greater than I am. From great souls, we learn not only how to lead a spiritual life, but how to die. 
in the case of Swami Swahananda, he was, he was ready. He had been ready for a long time to leave the body. I asked him many years back. I was, had, I was very impressed with how he could remain detached in the face of various controversies at the Hollywood Center and arguments and all that kind of thing. How do you remain so detached? I asked him. And he replied immediately, You see, I have one foot in the grave. I can't get worried about all these small things. <laughs> I have one foot in the grave. So he was very clear. Death is coming. And he was ready. Why am I going to get worried about all these things? I have the, the big, the big uh, release is coming. Once in Trubuco, he had taken the wrong medicine. Some, I think one devotee had suggested something. Somehow, he was never very careful about what medicines he would take. If someone says, take something, he says, ah, all right, I'll try it. <laughs> so uh, he had taken the wrong kind of medicine. Maybe it was like a sleeping pill, and he took it in the morning. And so on the walkway, he collapsed. I wasn't present, but I heard about it. He collapsed. And one brother was nearby, came and, and saw what was he doing. Although he seemed half unconscious, his fingers were counting the japa. His fingers were counting the japa. So the minute any problem came, immediately where did his mind go? And that brother told me that he reached down to pick, to, to hold him. And immediately he felt a wave of bliss in his own heart when he touched the, touched the Swami. I think I'd like to still recount a little bit about Maharaj's last days. Uh, I had the great fortune to come from here back to Hollywood on the 5th of October. And Maharaj was planning to go to Austin, Texas the next weekend. And nobody thought it was a good idea. Your health is so fragile and uh, what, what are you doing? No, he was adamant. He's going to go. And then it was my good fortune. He asked me to accompany him. He said, oh, you come with me. And it was a good thing because he had only one attendant and it would have been too much for one. So he went with two attendants and his doctor and we all went to Austin the next weekend. And uh, why was he so adamant about going to Austin? He was starting a new center there. Why? What is this intense uh, desire to go? When Swami Vivekananda established the Baylor Mutt, he carried the urn containing Sri Ramakrishna's relics on his own shoulder. Sri Ramakrishna had told him, wherever you carry me on your shoulders, I will stay there. So he brought it to the new mutt grounds and worshipped Sri Ramakrishna there. And then he said afterwards, the spiritual force emanating from here will permeate the whole world, turning the currents of men's activities and aspirations into new channels. The whole world. And the, a couple of days later he said, the other day when we installed the image of Sri Ramakrishna on the ground of this mutt, I saw his ideas emanating from here and flooding the whole universe with their radiance. So I feel that Swami Swahanandaji caught the spirit of these words and felt himself to be an instrument in the spreading of this uh, uh, flood of spirituality. He had such a zeal for spreading the teachings of Vedanta and the name of Sri Ramakrishna. He used to quote Swami Vivekananda in some of his letters to India. Swamiji had said, When in every district there will be a mutt on the model of our mutt in Calcutta, then will my heart's desire be fulfilled. 
when in every district then Swamiji will be fulfilled. It seems that Swami Swamiji also had this idea. You know, in his room there hangs a map of the United States of America. And on that map there are pushpins, little pushpins, put at wherever there is a center of the Ramakrishna order, wherever there is a Vedanta society, a pushpin has been placed. So there's a pushpin in Los Angeles, uh, Hollywood, then the other local centers have little pushpins, and San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Chicago, St. Louis, Washington, D.C., uh, New York, there's two, Boston, Providence, Florida. And then there are also pushpins of a different color for the centers which are not formally affiliated to the order, but which have also been started, many of them started by him. So Pittsburgh, uh, where, where do we have Pittsburgh, Atla Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Philadelphia sort of trying to get started, and Detroit, now he's got some people there, he's starting. And he could put a pushpin now at Austin, Texas also. So I, it almost as though he also wanted to see a center in every county of the United States. Sri Ramakrishna came uh, not for a little village called Kamarpukur in Bengal. He came not for people who were born and brought up in West Bengal, uh, who speak the Bengali language. He didn't come just for people living in India. He came for the whole world. This was Swami Vivekananda's conviction and understanding, and also Swami Swahananji's understanding and conviction. So exactly one week before he left the body, Swami Swahananji went to Austin to open a new center. And we were all amazed to see his vigor and his energy and his zeal. Saturday morning, there was a puja. He started the puja by offering many flowers, chanting the mantras. And then he sat down and watched the whole puja. It took a, the puja itself was an hour, and he watched the whole thing. Then uh, the Saturday evening, a, lumber, a large number of devotees gathered at the house where he was staying where we were staying, some 50 devotees all together, and he talked for almost two hours in his usual style with jokes and admonitions and stories and answering questions. He was in his element. He was really in his element. And Sunday morning again devotees came and he spoke for about an hour with the devotees. Then Sunday evening there was a formal program which was about a two, maybe an hour and a half long, maybe a little more than that, and he sat through the whole program. He himself spoke for about 20 minutes, giving some very nice uh, encouragement and direction also for the new center. And then Monday morning, back to Los Angeles. And uh, Tuesday, he even wrote to Advaita Ashrama about the book that was not, uh, they hadn't yet printed. His last book, which hasn't yet been printed, and he was writing on Tuesday, why hasn't it been printed? You hurry up and print it. And then Wednesday morning, he had a big stroke. And uh, he knew it was coming. He had told, we found out afterwards, he had told his doctor, mm, in the next few weeks, I'm going to have a big stroke. Oh no, Maharaj, don't talk like that, don't be silly. But he had said it. No one is ready. We weren't ready to hear it, but he had said it. He knew it was coming, and he wanted that. He often used to say, Swami Adishwarananda, he did it nicely. He also had a big stroke. He didn't want to drag on and on and get weaker and weaker and be unable to do anything.
So mm, I had gone on to San Francisco on Monday, and as soon as I got the news, I came back. He was in the hospital. He had a tube, a breathing tube. And he had specifically said, I don't want any tubes. He had written one of those advanced directives. So finally on Friday, the uh, tubes were removed at about 2 o'clock, 2.15 in the afternoon. And I was fortunate to be one of the very few in the room. And the, in his room, the room was thronged with devotees throughout the two and a half days he was in the hospital. And it created a little bit of a problem because it was the ICU, the intensive care unit, and there are other patients, and they have a strict rule, no more than two people in the room. And sometimes we had 20 people in the room. We'd shut the door, and we were chanting and singing, and then the nurses, maybe they would, uh, the, the guard would shift, and they would say, this is too much, everybody get out. And so everyone would get out, and then gradually, gradually, people would slip in, and gradually the crowd would grow again. And there was a great mood in the room of uh, a great spiritual mood. People were just uh, such a prayerful mood. We felt elevated. And uh, when finally the tube was removed, I was one of the few people who was in the room and we were just chanting continually Sri Ramakrishna's name. Hari Om Ramakrishna Hari Om Ramakrishna Hari Om Ramakrishna Just like that over and over again, probably for about an hour. And after about half an hour, he took his last breath and his uh, heart stopped beating. It was, about t- it was exactly 2.52 when he took his last breath. But uh, several of us noticed that about two minutes before that, he had been breathing very shallowly, about two minutes before that, he took a deep breath. Something like that. And we felt that was the moment when he left the body. Afterward, two more minutes, the body was still breathing, but that was, we felt that was the moment when he actually left the body. And it was not a moment of grief. It was a moment of joy, because I felt, ah, finally, he's out of this cage, which has tubes going in and needles and all that. And the idea that at the time that we leave the body, if our minds are on God, we're going, we, that's where we go. We go attain the real freedom. The real freedom. I'll read a little from Swami Vivekananda's letter to Sarah Bull. When uh, her father died, it was 1895, in January, and Swamiji, I'll read some excerpts from this beautiful letter. I had a premonition of your father's giving up the old body. And it is not my custom to write to anyone when a wave of would-be inharmonious maya strikes him. But these are the great turning points in life, and I know that you are unmoved. The surface of the sea rises and sinks alternately, but to the observant soul, the child of light, Each sinking reveals more and more of the depth and of the beds of pearls and coral at the bottom. Coming and going is all pure delusion. The soul never comes nor goes. Where is the place to which it shall go when all space is in the soul? When shall be the time for entering and departing when all time is in the soul? The earth moves causing the illusion of the movement of the sun. But the sun does not move. 
So prakriti or maya or nature is moving, changing, unfolding veil after veil, turning over leaf after leaf of this grand book, while the witnessing soul drinks in knowledge, unmoved, unchanged. All souls that have ever been, are, or shall be, are all in the present tense, and, to use a material simile, are all standing at one geometrical point. Because the idea of space does occur in the soul, therefore all that were ours, are ours, and will be ours, are always with us, were always with us, and will be always with us. We are in them, they are in us. Each soul is a star, and all stars are set in that infinite azure, that eternal sky, the Lord. There is the root, the reality, the real individuality of each and all. Religion began with the search after some of these stars that had passed beyond our horizon, and ended in finding them all in God and ourselves in the same place. The whole secret is then that your father has given up the old garment he was wearing and is standing where he was through all eternity. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Mritangamaya Aviravirma idhi Rudrayate dakshinam kam Tena mam pahinityam Om shanti 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 From the unreal, lead us to the real. From darkness, lead us unto light. From death, lead us to immortality. Light us through and through, O Lord, and evermore protect us from ignorance by thy sweet, compassionate face. Om, peace, peace, peace.